2: Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show, recorded and produced on Ghana, Gardigal and Wurundjeri land for 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. My name is Mara. On today's show we hear from Kirsten Blair from the Gunjahami Aboriginal Corporation about the efforts to rehabilitate Ranger Uranium Mine and for the plan for a post-uranium mining future in the Kakadu region. Before we hear from Kirsten, I'd like to acknowledge that the 25th to 26th of April marked 33 years since the disaster at Chernobyl. It's clear that all parts of the uranium fuel cycle, from mining to waste disposal, and of course including nuclear power, leave a toxic legacy for generations to come. Here's the interview with Kirsten Blair now.
0: Yeah, I'm Kirsten Blair. I work as the Community and International Liaison for Kunjake Aboriginal Corporation.
1: And tell us a little bit about Kunjake Please,
0: Kirsten? Yeah, Gunzadmu was set up by the Mirar people, who are traditional owners of parts of Kakadu, uh, as well as the uh, Ranger and Jabaluka uranium deposits. So it's a big patch of country in the top end of Australia, really beautiful World Heritage area. And the Mira established the Guntatme Aboriginal Corporation in 1995 to represent them and to uh, advocate on behalf of MIRAR country and culture to ensure that MIRAR's rights and interests are represented at all of the different forums in which they're evolved.
1: Um, okay. And then tell us a, um, a little bit about the history of the work that was undertaken at the Ranger uranium mine. Like, what did they do there? How long did it go for? And, um, and where's it
0: at now? So the U- range of uranium mine was imposed on Mirar country. Back in the late 70s, the federal government decided that a uranium mine in that area was the way they wanted to go. And uh, the short version of that story is that the Mirar and other traditional owners of the area made it very clear that they didn't want to see mining come to their country. Uh, the tr- senior traditional owner of that time was uh, Toby Gangali and he had been to the Rum Jungle site and seen that that was never properly cleaned up, and he didn't want that happening on his country. He knew about the risks. He also was aware that uranium can be used to make nuclear weapons, and he was concerned that that might happen with something that had come from his country. He was worried about accidents. He was very concerned about all the risks, not only to Mirar and Mirar country and the associated uh, neighbouring clans, but also the impact that uranium might have wherever it was taken and used. And so despite those that resistance, uh, the federal government decided to impose the mine on MIRA and explicitly removed their right of veto under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act. So the only example that exists where traditional owners' right of veto over a mining project under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act Northern Territory happened, MIRA were not able to legally resist it and the mine was built and then commenced production uh, in 1981 and has been... So there's um, this... What we're seeing now is the end of mining out of the second of two open-cut pits on the site. And um, over that time, an enormous quantity of uranium has been exported and an enormous quantity of tailings have been produced. So there's a massive uh, radioactive waste issue on that site. And at the moment, what's going on is the mining company, Energy Resources of Australia, which is owned by Rio Tinto, is finishing the processing of the last of the stockpiles of the remaining ore. They have not been mining on the site for about five years, but they've been processing and exporting yellow cake from just the remaining stockpiles. And really the main focus now on the site is commencing the rehabilitation because that mine's coming to a close and it's time to clean up the site. So what condition is the site in now? Well, it's not enormously different to how it was during operations. The the um, pits, pit one has been filled in and the company's in the process of capping that. And the bigger pit, pit three is, they're in the process of filling that back in. Um, and that will be where everything from, everything that's contaminated that's on the site will be eventually left. Um, and the tailings dam is being, Slowly drained, so there's a dredge on that site which is digging out the, or dredging out the um, slurry that's in the in the dam and processing that using a brine concentrator to extract as much water as possible, and then the, the contaminated substances are being put into the pit. So it's a it's a massive cleanup operation, and at the moment it's still very much a massively disturbed industrial area.
1: What are the steps that are needed to be undertaken to, to get this cleanup sorted to a reasonable level? I imagine it can't, you know, there's no possible way that it can be restored to the level
0: before mining, but where do you think they can get to and how do they get there? What you're saying there is exactly the question Can the site be restored to the standard that it was before mining commenced in the environmental requirements? So this is the legally binding statute, a document which states how the range of mine will be cleaned up, it says that it must be returned to a state where it could be incorporated into the Kakadu National Park World Heritage Area. So that's the bar that's been set for the mining company to meet with this cleanup. Whether or not that's possible is yet to be tested. So obviously from Ganjaitmi's perspective, that's what we want to see. We want to see clean-up to a level can see it incorporated into the park that sees it returned to traditional owners in a safe healthy functional state as a functioning piece of country as a safe place for people to access and the work's being done at the moment both by the mining company by the office of the supervising scientists and by other consultants who are supporting and in the mirror to determine what is possible in that regard and it really is it's uncharted territory. Mm.
1: Who's um, responsible for the cleanup? The the comp- or or who who are the people that go right? Um, we do think that's an acceptable level, or we know we don't think it's cleaned up. And how is how is that determined?
0: And yeah, the standard to which it's required to be um, returned is is really still a bit of a live topic. the um, The day to day regulation of the mine falls to the Northern Territory government. Mm-hmm. So there's um, historically there's been a lot of interaction at that level, but for the closure process, the federal government is involved.
1: Okay. And so how, how effective do you think that the cleanup is likely to be and how long do you think it might take?
0: There's a statuted five-year period for the rehabilitation of the site. So um, the as I said, the rehabilitation has already started, but mining, all mining operations have to stop on the ranger site in January of 2021. So that's pretty soon, it's Mm. less than two two years away. And we're, um, you know, looking now really at the tail end of of uranium mining in Kakadu, which is a very exciting fact. Very exciting. As people would be aware, there there were two other uranium mines proposed for the region and both of those areas were excised from what was originally declared as Kakadu so the Jabaluka site Jabaluka mineral lease was carved out when Kakadu was originally declared and there was a very um, serious push made in the late 90s to try and see that mine developed and the Mirror it was on Mirar country as well and Mirar strongly resisted that and with uh, enormous alliance of supporters from across Australia and around the world saw that mine off and the site is now in what they're calling long-term care and maintenance. So the the, um, the underground mine was actually, the construction of that was commenced in 1999. And it was a, a part of the campaign was to see that ceased and then in fact see mineralised or returned underground rather than being processed and exported. So enormous story there. And so that site now has is under the process of rehabilitation as well. And the other story people would be aware of in terms of uranium mining in the region is Kungara. So the, um, this is on Jock Country, which is a neighbouring clan from Mirar There were also deposits of uranium at Kungara and a long-term effort to attempt to seek consent from Traditional and Jeffrey Lee there, who again resisted continuously, was aware of the stories and knew that uranium mining was not something he wanted to see come to his country mm-hmm. and was successful in seeing that. Uh, stopped and his country has in fact now been incorporated into the World Heritage Area, was never mined, was never massively disturbed for any kind of mining and has been secured as part of the National Park now. So the, um, the rehabilitation of the ranger site will take at least that five-year period uh, of concerted focus where there's no further processing taking place. And the expectation from Ghanjaitmi's perspective is that we need to see that site returned to a standard that's acceptable for MIRA to resume traditional owner access and use of country. The reality is um, that that is an untested proposition. So every effort is being made and, and from Ghanjaitmi's perspective, mm. and that's what people need to see, that's their country is returned to them in in an acceptable state.
1: Absolutely. What commitments are there from the Northern Territory and federal governments with regard to the clean-up of the Ranger site?
0: Right, so within the mining agreement for the Ranger Uranium Mine, there are a set of environmental requirements that the mining company has to meet in order for the federal government to sign off on the closure of the site. And within that, there's the expectation or the requirement sorry that the the site will be rehabilitated to a state where it can be incorporated into the kakadu national park world heritage area also within that is an expectation and a requirement that the tailings from the mine are managed and contained for a period of 10,000 years not long so that is an unprecedented expectation mm. and in in terms of a realistic Expectation to set of a mining company. There's not, obviously, there's never been a mining company that's existed for that long. Um, But nevertheless, that's the expectation, that's the commitment, and it indicates just how seriously at the outset the regulators were about, they were aware that this was a very tenuous prospect. This is precious country Mm. as everywhere is, but this. This was very contested and it, was, it all happened at the same time. Uranium mining, Aboriginal land rights, National Park all happened around the same time in this part of the Northern Territory and there was a lot of conflict and very clear awareness that these were very conflicting objectives for this patch of country. So those, those requirements reflect that. They reflect that people were aware at the time that this was something that really had to be done properly and whether or not it's possible to do it properly is what we're now testing
2: You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're speaking from Kirsten Blair from the Kandjahami Aboriginal Corporation about the clean-up of the Ranger uranium mine.
1: Are there any examples of this sort of work happening around the world?
0: Uh, There's no examples anywhere of an open-cut uranium mine in a wet, dry, dry tropical environment being rehabilitated to a standard where it could be incorporated into a World Heritage Area. This is the first try that anyone's had at that. This is uncharted territory and Kakadu Kakadu is the test case for this. And obviously that means that there's not a working example that can be looked to and the lessons learned from. And equally, it means that either they get it right in this case and demonstrate that it can be done, or they don't, and it's a very strong argument for why it should never happen again. Either way, the impact has been significant over the 40 years of the mine's operation. There's no question from the Miara's perspective that they would prefer mining had never come to their country. But the impact of having had the mine there is extraordinary. Uh, but now the expectation is that this needs to be done properly and like I said, whether or not that's possible is what we're testing now.
1: Mm. And what hopes do the Mirar people have for the future of the country?
0: Mirar people, have, I've talked a lot about the time when they'll be able to re-access the country where the range of Iranian mine currently is. There are significant sites not far at all from where the actual pits are and the Jidbi outcrop overlooks what is currently an industrial landscape of open-cut. Uranium pits, tailings dams, mining, processing equipment.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So the just the physical evidence of the impact is really clear. And over the time of the mine, there have been examples of contaminants showing up downstream. The um, Mudge and Berry community is close by and people access and utilise the waterways that have had those contaminants showing up in them. So this... Uh, long-standing underlying level of concern and awareness of potential impacts from having the mine upstream is something that people are looking forward to no longer having to have looming over them Mm. but again the movement of groundwater the way that the contaminants are traveling is all is all stuff that's still being monitored and whether or not this is a realistic thing to be able to ensure that people can be confident about is unknown at this stage.
1: Well, and it'll take a little while to figure that out too by the sounds of things. Absolutely, yes. Wow. And so Jabbaru is, well, it was anyway a mining town essentially set up to, to service those uranium and mining activities. What does this mean for, for Jabbaru in the future?
0: Well, the town, as you said, you're right, the town of Jabiru was set up with those three uranium mines in mind. So there was a lot of excitement at that time from the pro-mining quarters and they established the town of Jabiru to be the centre for that part of what was going on in the area. Of course, the other two mines haven't eventuated and the town of Jabiru has existed both as a service centre for the mine and a lot of mining staff have been living there, but it's also a regional centre for people who live in that region, so Aboriginal people who live across Kakadu and into Western Arnhem Land, as well as a tourism hub because Kakadu is an international icon and hundreds of thousands of people come through every year and the town of Jabru is the service center for that. So there are lots of reasons for Jabru to exist. Mm. So when the when the Ranger mine closure was sort of formally confirmed, the mining company was aware that their rehabilitation responsibilities included the town of Jabru, and the expectation from them was that they would bulldoze the town because that was part of what they had to clean up when they left. And the Mira, as traditional owners of the town and other people across the region, made it very clear that there were lots of other reasons for that town to be maintained. And so there's been a big set of discussions between the Mira, the Northern Territory Government, the federal government and the mining company about how to ensure that the town of Jabiru continues to exist in a way that fits with the future of the region post mining. And the Mira are just at the forefront of making those plans. They've put a master plan together which identifies the ways in which Jabiru can change and develop. And the focus is very much on local services and tourism, so looking away from mining and towards a positive future.
1: And this, I imagine, would provide um, jobs for local Mirarr people and um, giving them an opportunity to share some culture and some um, country and rehabilitated country with a bit of luck as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of great ideas about Um, changing in some ways changing the model of tourism in the area but also uh, involving local people in both the plans and the enacting the enacting those tourism ideas Mm,
1: because it's it's, apart from you know a couple of nasty holes in the ground it's a very very pleasant part of the world
0: extraordinary It's, it's beautiful it provides you know, there's all sorts of tourism opportunities, mm. not only on Mirar country but all the way across Kakadu, and it's iconic for for good reason, and that's going to continue to be the case. The um, the significant shift, I guess, is that there's now really a focus on traditional owners being at the forefront of deciding how that tourism happens,
1: as it should be. That's fabulous. Um. There was an announcement, I think, last year in the news about some um, government funding to go towards the the clean-up. Can you explain that a little bit?
0: Sure. So the Northern Territory Government has committed to ensure that at least five years' worth of existing services that are funded through that level of government. So that's things like roads and power and school and health, those things which, I mean, obviously school and the health clinic were provided by the Northern Territory Government already, um, but the... Power, for example, the um, generator is on the ranger site, so that'll be the diesel's going to be switched off. Oh. And um, so Mirar have been involved in um, that we've been in conversation with Beyond Zero Emissions to design an energy future for the area that is zero emissions. So there's obviously a massive solar resource in that part of the world. There's lots of opportunities to employ really positive te- technology, both um, energy generation and energy efficiency, opportunities um, for the new version of Jabiru. So historically it's been um, just all diesel-generated electricity. Wow. All that so sign? big shifts there. Yeah, there's all that time exactly. And the I mean, obviously the energy requirements of just this uh, renewed version of Jabiru compared to the energy requirements of a uh, operating uranium mine are significantly different. So we're looking at basically just reworking all of that. So the Northern Territory Government is committed to ensure that there's five years of services on that level. Now, both of the major parties just at the very start of this year committed around about $200 million each to the future of Jabiru and the Kakadu region. And their their plans vary in, you know, different ways. But broadly speaking, they're really positive and a really um, sincere commitment to the future of Jabiru and the region, which is a great thing to know. So after, it won't be till after the election that we'll know which of those two is going to be the one that happens and we'll obviously be needing to hold whichever party it is to the commitments they made. But it, it is a really clear indication that there is, at a federal level, a strong commitment to the future of Jabiru and the Kakadu region, which is really positive because that's certainly what the MIRR have been working towards.
1: Mm, and they've been working very hard for 40 years. So Absolutely. hopefully things will work out well for them after 40 years of what sounds like a bit of a nightmare.
0: Um, exactly. And the, the other thing about that, I guess, the 40 year time frame, like that's a really significant amount of time to have something like a uranium mine on your country. But in the context of the amount of time that the Mira have been on this country, there's, um, you know, there's archaeological evidence that people have been in this part of the world for 65,000 years. Obviously, Mira know that their people have been on the land that we now call Kakadu forever. Mm. And it's this really recent system. The most recent couple of generations have had all of these imposed experiences. So mining is obviously incredibly disruptive, but equally, you know, the imposition of a national park, which is run by the federal government, is a massive change in terms of how people have access to country. So, yeah, this 40 years has seen a huge amount of change. But during that time, Mira have responded to and adapted to what's being imposed and are now looking at again, asserting themselves as traditional owners and the people who have responsibility for this country.
1: Wow. It's um, been a long, long story and a long, long fight and hopefully they'll be happy with um, where the clean-up ends and how the land is handed back to them in the next, I don't know, five or something years. And hopefully the cleanup can be, well, as good as
0: possible. Absolutely, that's what we're all pitching for. Mm. Is there anything else you
1: would like to add?
0: This next period of time, so particularly the next seven years, there's two more years of operations at Ranger and then there's the five-year rehabilitation period, which takes us to the start of 2026. This is a crucial time for Mirar country. There have been a lot of challenges that the Mirar have responded to over the last 40 years and certainly longer. But this is a a time when, again, the people who know this story and who support the Mirar can make it clear just that messages of support are always really well received and just recognition if there's times when people are having conversations about uh uranium mining and resistance to uranium mining telling the story of the Mirar's resistance to jabaluka and now the fact that they're asserting themselves as the cleanup of ranger happens is always powerful
1: what's the best way to send um the Mirar people
0: a message uh, well the, probably the, through the website there's an um, email address on the Gonjaitme website. so it's uh, mirI Um there's an email access through that which is probably the be- easiest.
1: Okay, we will put that link on our website and Facebook page so people can send some love to the people up there that have been fighting so hard for so long. And then, oh the other thing is it's been really great to see younger generations stepping up to to the future of, of country. It's been this has been going on through several generations.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So it was Yvonne Mugrula, who's the senior traditional owner of the mirror. Currently, her father was the person, so Toby Gangale, who I mentioned earlier, was the person who really led the resistance to Ranger Uranium mine. And Yvonne was the figurehead in the Jabaluka campaign. And now the next generation, so the children of Yvonne's generation, are really starting to make their voices heard and standing up to tell their story of their experience on country. And these are people who, for their entire lives, there has been a mine one Mira Country, their, mm. their experience of what mining is and the impact that it has is really different and they are really looking forward to when there's no longer a mine and this new version of Jabiru becomes a reality.
1: It'll be a whole new world for them. Yeah. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Kirsten. It was really That's great. to thank have Thank you, Mara. All of that background of to the Ranger Cleanup and best of luck over the next seven or so years. Um, no doubt, the Radioactive Show will 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 stay on top of this topic and will Absolutely. stay in tune. If there's anything that people around the place that listen to 3CR can do to help, let us know. Thank you, Mara. Thanks so much, Kirsten. Have a good day.
2: You too. See ya. Thanks so much to Kirsten Blair from the N'Jakimi Aboriginal Corporation for such a fantastic update about the ongoing efforts of the Mirarr people to ensure that despite the imposition of 40 years of uranium mining on their land, that the land gets rehabilitated to the level at which it can be handed back to them and that the whole region has a better, cleaner future. To learn more about it, and to go to their website www.mirarr.net. Thanks for listening to the Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR for the, on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria, and is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.